I'm Kim, and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 16th, 2014. Join us as we focus on the Boyle Heights community that has rallied to protect the Wyvernwood Garden Apartments, David J. Whitmer and Loyal F. Watson, 1939, from threatened redevelopment. We'll hear from Cal State Los Angeles professor Bidon Roy, community activist Rigo Amaviska, and poet Kevin Strick as we look into the motivations and tactics behind the grassroots movement called Save Wyvernwood. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir, Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown, The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 16th, 2014. This episode, will have interviews with Badon Roy. He's a professor at Cal State LA, the poet Kevin Strick, and activist Rigo Amaviska. We are going to be talking to all three of these fine fellows about Wynvernwood. This is a housing development. It is a garden-style housing complex. It is on Olympic Boulevard. It's just east of Soto, and it's in peril. And whole episode, Wynvernwood. It's really great. Kim, the Pishka. It's funny you should mention the Pishka, because I've been playing um, our board game that we picked up in Downey, Chutzpah, the 1967 Jewish version of Monopoly, and there's a, there's a Pishka in, in Chutzpah. Of course, that's what they call the bank. Yeah, that, and that's, that, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a Pishka Maven who minds the bank, and everyone has to watch the Pishka Maven to make sure they're not putting their thumbs in the bank. The Pishka. Anyway, the Pishka, of course, as 
you've probably figured out is the digital tip jar. It's associated with this podcast. And if you like what we do and you'd like us to keep going far afield to find wonderful people to talk to for you to listen to, uh, you're certainly encouraged to put a little something in the Pishka. We always appreciate the contributions of our listeners. Never obligatory, always appreciated. And you can find that PayPal link on the podcast website page. Thanks. Thank you, Pishka Maven. Kim, we're going to um, jump into the closely watched terrain section. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through the first couple um, with, some, with some haste because I know the last one you have a lot to say. Okay? So, so um, Village Center Newsstand. That's um, in Westwood. It's just across from where the old Tower Records is at Westwood and, and Gailey. And uh, the National Theater, or what was, excuse me, what was the National Theater, was just around the corner. It's closing. It's closing. Carl, um, the owner, has been has been running it for 20 years. I think it's been open longer than 20 years. Um, I remember that from from high school, which would be the the mid 80s. Yeah. So, but it's been there. It's closing. Very sad. Last week we reported on the world newsstand in Hollywood closing. So just in passing, there we go. Newsstands are closing up. It's 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 very very sad. Very quickly, Globe Theater. 8th and Broadway, east side of the street. Uh, their marquee, the next time we... Uh, I think we got one more podcast before that, that marquee is relit, but just putting that out there. Theater sign is going to be relit. Marquee is going to be re- relit. The neon's being redone. The globe is going to spin. Very exciting. Kim, you sent me a nice article about old theaters in Orange County. Okay, we're talking about Orange County theaters. So, got some got some issues. Um... The 87-year-old Balboa Village Theater, it's in danger. Closed its doors in 82, excuse me, 92. City bought it in 98. Uh, there's a nonprofit group attached to it trying to raise funds. City's given them till the end of the year to raise a couple million dollars or else. Or else. A uh, resident and activist said uh, the fate of the theater and the neighborhood are intertwined. And I really, really like that. I really liked how he said that. Since it's really interesting that you're not saying anything, I'm just going to keep talking. I find it absolutely absolutely fascinating. The strangest tree in downtown dies. That was a headline in the downtown news this week. We're going to take a second. We're going to take a second. Okay, this is the building on Broadway, west side of the street, just north of 5th. For the longest time, it had the uh, this this mural. They, They just covered the entire facade. They just took stucco and chicken wire and covered the facade and put a mural. There were several murals in succession on it. And at the top of this building was this tree, and this tree grew there. And every time you'd pass it, you'd be quite inspired. And and now it's gone. Well, it's actually dead. It, its roots have been cut because of the, the building is being brought back from its long stucco decline. And uh, they figured out... That it was not simply growing on air and goodwill, but it was growing on an enormous amount of soil that was deposited in the upper stories of the building some decades ago. And I guess the right parrot happened to be there with the right deposit, and and the and the tree was installed where it could get to that soil. And it's an extraordinary thing. The the gentleman who's 
developing the building feels kind of bad about it, but I guess it was, you know, kill the tree or kill the building. And he's, he's said in the downtown news that he's interested in the notion of strapping the dead tree, which is which now dead and hanging off the side of the building, uh, to a hearse, getting a police escort and driving it up and down Broadway, which I certainly hope he does. That's, that's a lovely idea. He's not going to do that. Um, he doesn't really care. If he really cared, he would have he would have found a way to save it. No joke. Really? Uh, hey, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm. Yeah, I'm not an arborist. So, chapter fifteen, Bhagavad Gita, chapter fifteen tells us that the tree of life grows upside down. Okay, and it sends its roots up into the universe. Mm-hmm. Krishna comes and chops the tree down. The tree dies. The negative space in the universe left by the decomposed roots of the tree of life are where a man's consciousness grows. Okay. That's our, clo- that's our closing thought. On Broadway. That's our closing thought for you about this chopped down tree, cosmic consciousness, and bringing back Broadway. Okay? Okay, okay Kim. It's all yours. Video, post it, Last week. No, like almost a month ago. Okay. Didn't see it? Okay. Go. Right. You want me to talk about the fact that uh, people are documenting what's going on in the Grand Central Market, which we've we've written about in our newsletter a couple of times now. Um, Yeah, we'll share the video. It's a really, really nice piece, about 15 minutes, 12 minutes long, about what's happening to some of the old vendors in Grand Central Market. And... You know, they don't always get a voice, but in this case, filmmaker found, um, I guess, the granddaughter of the gentleman who who used to run Chile Seco, which is uh, closer to the Broadway side, but just near the stairs, pretty close to where the new cheese shop has gone, and actually between the cheese shop and between the new butcher, so very much ground zero for the changes in the market. And this young woman speaks a lot about her family's history and how important their role in the market has been and just how it's a struggle because they're clearly not wanted by the management. They're being um, not allowed to have a lease. They're being discouraged in many ways. And and then her aunt, who runs the place, says that, you know, she likes the new vendors in general, but only the cheese people are nice. Kind is the word she uses. And the notion that new vendors are moving into this historic space that Ira Yellen purchased and redeveloped with significant taxpayer uh, input, about $44 million for that compound. Um, Tom Hayden called it welfare for the rich. Well, it was welfare for the rich. I mean, why, why pour $44 million into a declining corner of Broadway, tear down the FP Fay building, all the things that were done? I, I guess a, a lot of the money was spent on redeveloping the apartments upstairs, which weren't desirable for many decades, the market was allowed to decline. We can't blame Iro Yellen for this. He he died. But, uh, you know, the Yellen Corporation has run the market for many years. We've watched the market decline in, in our time going there. And now that investment is being made, it, it seems to be entirely for the new vendors who are more upscale. I, I really think that what's happened with Belcampo, and you called it out on Which Way LA more than a year ago, you know... There, there has to be a balance here. You can't have just high-end merchandise in the Grand Central Market and expect to be able to serve 
all of the people of downtown. Right across the street, 1,300 low-income elderly people live in Angeles Plaza. Um, I guess they're shopping elsewhere because they're certainly not coming across the street and buying mead at $20 a pound. No one is. Right. So what I think the takeaway here is, and don't think I've, I have not forgotten about Tom Hayden, the takeaway is is when we were running the Art Walk and when we had an artist group go in and do installations in the Mercantile Arcade, which is experiencing a very similar situation on a slightly smaller scale. The first thing this group of artists did was start to make videos about the merchants that have been in the Spring Arcade, Mercantile Arcade, for the last, the, the oldest ones they could find because it was, it is really, it is this working class set of, of, of shops that have kept that place alive. And they're gone. And, 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 and they were leaving in 2009. They're all gone today. Right. You walk, but, you walk through the Mercantile Arcade and you see lovely shops. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful space. And, and the shops that are going in, mostly food-based, are terrific. But do the new people coming downtown know when they walk through that they're walking in the shadows of small businesses that weren't allowed to stay? It, it is important. It does matter. Well, what, what does matter is that for 30, 40 years, Latino blue-collar businesses carried downtown and were a vital economic engine. And, and it would be it, – it is, it is sad to see them go. It, it's sad for any changes. It's sad to see them go. But really, one should really call them out and recognize them because they carried a lot of weight. And we would not be here today without them. Right, and you know the conversation is spreading all over L.A. Our entire podcast today is about what's happening in Boyle Heights, an activist group in a community that's using the lessons of the past. Chavez Ravine, referenced many times, Bunker Hill, very important to us, uh, Elisa Village, the neighborhoods that, that weren't allowed to speak for themselves and that were erased, um, and also using the tools of new technology and the Internet and the ability to garner publicity, to garner support and, and visibility, uh, which is incredible. Over in Echo Park, there's been the eviction of a woman, Avilia, who ran a little market called El Bate on Echo Park Boulevard. El Bate number two. El Bate number two. Well, there is no number one anymore. Uh, <laughs> since the 1960s. And, and this is someone who... I, I heard the story today from someone who was intrinsically involved in that block. I mean, they actually made her, the new owners, M. West, made her produce a business plan for turning her little market into a wine shop, and then they you know, hired an architect to do this, and they ignored the business plan and then told her to get out. I mean, this is just contemptuous. And so people are talking about what's happening. Yes, neighborhoods change, but we can also be aware of what's happening, we can be more compassionate to each other, and if people have to go, let's at least send them off with some recognition and some fanfare. So, Okay, Kim, so let's just take a breath, because this is a good place to finally start talking about this stuff, okay? So, we live in this world, and we are, to a good degree, successful, so we obviously understand there are limited resources in this world that we have to ration, right? You and I can't spend three hundred dollars a night on dinner. Not every night. Not we. we no, we can't. You run out of money, right? There, there. You, you, you have. You have to learn how to ration your money. You have to budget. You run a business. You have to make decisions. Not all of them are easy. I'm not saying that's that. That that is the reality. 
what I think we're trying to get at in this discussion is that there are elements, crucial elements of a community which cannot be quantified in dollars and cents, which cannot be quantified in spreadsheets, which cannot be quantified in metrics that graduate students produce with the help of their advisor for a study. There is this whole, there, there is this kingdom of limited resources. Every dollar I give you is one less dollar for myself, right? Every lease I give you is one less lease for my girlfriend to run her store. <laughs> it's a joke, darling. I'm, I'm, I'm being the slumlord. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, oh, I'm channeling oh, 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 the slumlord. I'm sorry, I didn't I'm know. channeling the slumlord. I was, I was no, I'm, 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 channeling this, like, I'm channeling the slumlord. Like, Who is this girlfriend and can I put her to work for me? No, no. So every, every dollar... Yes. I, let's, let's play my grandfather. Every dollar I give my grandson is one less dollar. For me, every... There's least, a limited number of spaces in Grand right. Central Market. You can't, you, you can't let a little ice cream shop stay there when okay, you can, can bring in a can, place that sells fresh-pressed juices. What we're talking about is there is another kingdom that, 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 that coexists and needs to be taken into account. This kingdom has infinite resources because we're talking about qualities like compassion, camaraderie, these, these intangibles that really define a community. And, and they are infinite in, in, in resource. There, there's no limit to them. And, and I think what we're really doing is we're asking people to step up, lift, lift the bar up just a little bit and hold themselves to a little higher standard when they're asking themselves what they're doing in trying to reinvent spaces. I'd like to see it. It's, it's hard, especially in downtown, because of the churn. The um, rents going up 15 25% a year really mean that people don't stay. And mm -hmm. we talk to people so often, we're like, oh yeah, I lived downtown two years ago. I lived downtown last year. Yeah, we left. Um, and, you know, I'll ask about their experience and there's positives and negatives, but... When they tell you why they left, it's always the same reason. Yeah, they started charging an extra $150 a month for parking. Our rent went up. Yeah. Maybe when we look at Grand Central, you know, we're looking at it from the point of view of we're Angelinos who've been going to Grand Central our entire life. Similarly, how we look at, say, Clifton's Cafeteria. But the things that are happening downtown aren't for the Angelinos. There aren't for the people who've always been here and who know these places and have a sense of the continuity, they're for the people in the churn who are going to have their one great year in downtown L.A., maybe while they're going to USC or while they're working their job downtown or before they get married or before they have their kid. And it is actually working for them. And it's kind of hard for us to step outside that and say maybe that's a function of this new economy and downtown is right now under the microscope and the light is shining really brightly, and all of the things that are happening are completely outside of our purview, and it'll go away again. And then downtown will be a neighborhood again. I, I don't know. I want you to acknowledge my point that, that we need people to really start to look to these, these intangible aspects that, 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 are, that are not dollars and cents. Oh, they, hell yes, Richard. You're absolutely right. Okay. But, I mean, it's just, yeah. this is really hard. It's hard talking to people who are watching their neighborhoods fall apart and really feel like their histories are being disrespected. People are actually talking about the quote-unquote new owners of Grand Central Market. That's how out of touch the local community in downtown L.A. is. Well, the new owners of, down, of the Grand Central Market are making these changes. These are the same the people same, who have owned it, it since the 1980s. Adele Yellen still owns the market. She just has new publicists and a new marketing team. It's called Effective Ownership, Kim, yeah. where members of the community feel they own 
a piece of the commu- of the common property that makes up the neighborhood that is because they care. Right. Okay, we need to move on. Kim, I, I, I wanted to leave this for you, and I wanted to leave on a positive note. Please. The Rialto Theater is up for sale. Yeah. The Rialto Theater, Fair Oaks, South Fair Oaks, South Pasadena. Super important. I mean, talk about effective ownership. Everybody in South Pasadena knows the Rialto. Didn't close that long ago, but to yeah. look at it, you would think this thing, this is like the Mrs. Havisham of, of theaters. It's relatively untouched since the 1920s. Um, we actually saw... We saw King Kong there. Mm-hmm. It was still it was still an open operating theater. We we don't go to the movies a lot, but we wanted to see a, a film there because we wanted to see my alter ego Jack Black, you're, who I went to high school with, who school. stole my shtick. Yeah. Oh, did I say that? Shtick stealer. Um, we did, and they closed soon after. Um, the city of South Pasadena has really been leaning on Landmark, who's the leaseholder. For the closure, because they, they neglected the property, I assume it's a triple net lease, bits of uh, plaster and bits of the marquee were threatening to fall on the street, and their response was to just wrap the whole thing in chicken wire, which looks great. Um, the, the family trust that's owned the theater since the 1930s hasn't stepped in to do anything, but then, you know, they do have a leaseholder. So finally, the trust, I don't know how this happened, but they're, they've actually put the building on the market. Uh, it may not actually be on the market, but the news is out that it is going up for sale. And the Friends of the Rialto, led by a, a small subgroup of the L.A. Historic Theater Foundation, um, Escott and others, are pushing very, very hard to market this property, even though they're not the leasing agents, um, because they want to find the right tenant who will come in, will understand what needs to be done to bring this thing back to its glory and and run it as a productive part of the community. It's... Uh, a very, very, very special place. It would be sad to see it go. It's on a very nice stretch of the street with a ter- terrific Masonic Hall across the street from it, and uh, we, very close to where we start uh, our run of crimes on our Pasadena Confidential Tour. It's also where one of my favorite psychotic killers, the Fox, a.k.a. Edward oh, Hickman, right. took his victim, little Marion Parker, in 1927 on uh, what was kind of a date before he killed her. So really a powerful space in my mind and, and a place I'd love to see come back. Hello, Alamo Draft House. Paging Alamo Draft House. Okay, Kim, good. We're done with watch trains. No, okay. no, no, I have to say something else. Don Normark died. He documented Chavez Ravine in 1949. Oh, yeah. Incredibly important. So shout out to a wonderful Angelino photographer, 19 years old, photographed things no one else was photographing. If it wasn't for the work that he did, our image of Chavez Ravine would simply be, you know, the grandmas trying to kick the sheriff's deputies in the eyes as they're dragged off of their porches before their houses are torn down. So he documented the real neighborhood. Wonderful, wonderful work, and thank you. Okay, just just because I can't resist, so... The Sheriff's Department evicted residents of Chavez Ravine on charges of. It was a health department. It was. It was. It was like it was. Uh, they they were in unsafe conditions. So what happened is a county health officer wandered into these little boroughs, these little neighborhoods, and handed out notices that the structures they were living in were unsafe, and they had to clear them and the residents were given these citations. And then 20 minutes later, the sheriff's deputies came in. And So just, just so that's clear. Right. Okay, Kim, we're done with watch trains. Um, events coming up, Ellen Conto, July, Salon, and Crime Lab. Go, take it away. 
Well, thanks, Richard. Yeah, we're going to be uh, down at El Encanto, perhaps the most beautiful 1920s historic house in Monterey Park. And we're just having a free lava open house and history walks and tours, including um, a stroll up to the beautiful Cascades Park. And we'll be talking about the history of speculative development in the San Gabriel Valley in the 1920s, something that was shut off rather quickly by like a like a tap by the economic crash of 1929 but this incredible structure survives and um, Mr. Snyder had a vision Atlantic to the Pacific and we'll be talking about it so do come down it's a wonderful property also Richard we have a lava Sunday salon coming up that I know you're very excited about I'm gonna let you talk about that science fiction Milt Stevens Los Angeles Science Fiction Fantasy Club is going to talk about some really important science fiction writers. This is an introduction for Craig Perry. He's a member of the OTO Star Sapphire Lodge here in Los Angeles. They're actually in Montrose, technically, Los Angeles County. Craig Berry will be talking about Jack Parsons, science fiction, rocket science, Alistair Crowley, and the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, of which Craig is a member, as I just mentioned. Um, it's going to be a very, very good salon. Get crime, there early. We yeah, expect this one to be S-R-O. Yeah, Kim, Crime Lab, July 13. Right, we're back at the Cal State Los Angeles Crime Lab looking at some new technology and techniques in uh crime scene investigation and analysis, and if you're interested in the cutting-edge ideas being developed in these academic settings in the criminalistics department at Cal State LA, come down and learn about two very distinct forms of study. Um, One relates to blood spatter, and specifically very, very tiny particles in blood that can tell you things You would be surprised to know they can tell you. We'll also be looking at the effect of massive impact on human bodies in crashes of various kinds. There's a lot of evidence left behind by the things that happen to us. And uh, if there's a crime involved, you definitely want to know about these new tools. If you're a criminal or you're a writer of crime fiction, (laughs) come and get on the cutting edge. It's a benefit for the criminalistics graduate students, and it's always a ton of fun to... uh, commune with Dr. Uh, Professor Donald Johnson and his colleagues. Join us, too. Thank you, Kim. Okay, we're going to get down to the interviews. So this this podcast, we have three parts, which is not, which is very rare. We sometimes do it. So this is what's happening. We're going to talk to Badan first. After the interview with Badan, which we're going to get to know a lot about Badan, we're going to have Kevin the poet, read a poem about Wayne Verwood. And then we're going to interview Rigo about Wayne Verwood. Okay, so I'm about to introduce everyone. I'm going to, going, to, going to give a little more attention in the biography, in the two or three things I know about Kevin than Badon or Rigo, because, because you're, you're not going to get a sense of Kevin beyond his poem, which is very good. So let's, let's do this. So we're going to interview Rigo last, so I'm going to introduce him first. Okay. Rigo is a community activist. This will become obvious in about 15 seconds into my interview with him. He is working to help Weinvernwood. He is really fantastic, and he's just going to take us by the hand and, and walk us down the path. Kevin is going to read a poem. He wrote, he is currently, a, in addition to being a teacher and a dad and a husband, 
he is a graduate student at Cal State LA, and he wrote a poem about Wine for Wood, and we we had him read it at this. Uh, this all these were taken uh, interviews, of course, were taken at at a, at a rally several weeks back at Cal State LA for Wine for Wood, which is very exciting. And our first interview will be with with Badon Badon Roy. Badon is a a professor of English at Cal State LA, and he organized the rally. And um, he and Mark Wild are, are good friends. You've probably heard us mention Mark Wild's name on this podcast before. He's a professor in the history department at Cal State LA. He's a good friend. He was the first speaker at the revival of the Lava Salon at Figaro. Yeah. So, um, all right. Back so when we were over in the other room. But, but, <laughs> Oh, yeah, when we did things in the front room, which I kind of sort of miss a little bit, but not really. Um, so let's we're, we're going to get into these interviews again. We'll start with Badon. We'll have Kevin read his poem and just his poem, so there'll be, there'll be no introduction or anything, and then he'll segue directly into Rigo. So let's, let's take it away with my interview with Badon. with you work house state LA. Mm-hmm. I want you to introduce yourself and we're going to jump into the topic at hand which is Weinvern Wood. Okay. I'm Bidon Roy. I'm a professor of English at Cal State LA and uh, we are here today organizing a uh, community event with Wyvernwood called Story in Wyvernwood. Perfect. Okay. Weinvern Wood, really important development in 1939. Watson and Whitmer are the architects. Sadler is the landscape architect. My great aunt Ida lived there. <laughs> um, really landmark for housing in Los Angeles. Uh, the design. Tell us the crisis at this beautiful, immediate pre-war um, housing project in East Los Angeles, which is on Olympic. Uh, basically, uh, Grande Vista. Uh, no, sorry. Just just uh, east of Soto. Soto. Just just east yeah. of Soto. Olympic and 8th are the north-south border streets. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Wyvernwood was bought by a private company, the 15 Group, um, 15 years or so ago. And they have a plan right now to redevelop it, to essentially tear down the whole um, development and redevelop it with a modern kind of high-rise condo version. Now, uh, currently, most of the residents there, or in fact, not most of them, all of the residents are working class, um, um, predominantly Latino population. And what will happen with the redevelopment is essentially a process of eviction, uh, a replacing of the culture, the traditions, the architecture, the green space with a new corporate vision of, of, um, uh, of the new downtown, the new Boyle Heights. And what we're trying to do here is to tell the stories of um, the people that live there because the r- stories and the life and the culture there is so rich and there's a kind of wave, not just in Los Angeles but all around the world really, of a kind of corporate takeover of space that wants to redefine what community is, what re- wants to redefine what the city is and working class people, poor people don't really have a voice to resist this kind of change. So we're trying to do a small, a small part towards helping give a voice to something that really is worth preserving. Okay, perfect. Let's take a breath. Let's do a little better, and it's my fault too, let's do a little better in describing what this amazing 
garden project oh, is. Okay. Okay. okay, I mentioned that there was a famous landscape architect. Weinvern Wood is a series of bung of, of, of multi unit bungalows spread over this beautifully landscaped area. The best bloom of hackeranda trees in the county, in my opinion. You you, you go you want you want to go look at a great hackeranda blossom, drive down Camulus, in my pigeon, in Weinvern Wood. So this is this is a low density this was designed in nineteen thirty nine to be this beautiful Everyone's got room, the kids can play, there's air, there's light, there's space. I want you just to give us a sense of how much denser, just beyond just the atrocity of tearing down this important pre-war housing development, just, just how much denser they want to make this, this wonderful green spot. I think they want to increase the density uh, sure uh, al almost by, um, one, uh, by 1.8 to almost two times. They just, it's, it's just going to completely transform beyond just demolishing it. Yeah. They're going to dramatically change the nature of that neighborhood. Okay, so we've done that. And I apologize for not doing that at first. No, we're, no. we're still good. Um, so basically, as I feel, you and I both agree about eastern Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The corporations have mm -hmm. divvied up. They've laid down. They've, they've drawn their lines on the map. And, and, and we both feel that they're moving in to take over. Mm -hmm. The first salvo of arrows has flown. Mm -hmm. So what... Do people, what do you, so you're, you're doing this to raise consciousness. Mm -hmm. Give us a little bit more about where you want to see this go and how you want this community to, 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 to many people have woken up, but there are mm -hmm. th those that have not. Mm -hmm. The arrows are stuck in the ground. We're mm -hmm. surrounded by, the, the lancer, the, the archers are pulling back again. What do, what do you want to see happen in the immediate future to help this community? Well, the question, the, the question is really, um, well, the issue is that this is our city, and what's often forgotten is we are the voices of deciding how the city gets shaped. Um, but you can't be passive in terms, you can't sit around and complain that the city's been, there's a Starbucks on every corner if you haven't done anything to speak up against it. There uh, is a Starbucks moving into uh, <laughs> Olympic and Soto, just two blocks west of Weinvernwood. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> so we can't complain about that. You have to do something about it. Um, so, so, you know, a, a large part of what the role really, specifically with me as an English professor, is to really try and give voice and to tell these stories. Because a lot of the battle that's taking place is not just lawyers, but really narrative and yeah. culture. And, and, and what's already there is not re really known or valued in the broader Los Angeles community. So I think the first thing is just to be a kind of loudmouth about it and tell as many people about this. Because I think if you visit the space and as you've described, the green space, the architecture and, and the community as well. When you see kids out playing, people hanging on the stoop. I mean, it's really, the irony is this is the kind of idea or vision of community that corporations try to sell in the new developments, but you already have something authentic there. It's just that people don't get to hear about it enough. So I think you raise consciousness, first of all, and then the second thing is to organize, to have events like this, and to find out your, your um, you know, brothers and sisters that share this point of view, and to work together, because... It is a collective effort, and the slogan of our event today is "We are Wyvernwood because we are all Wyvernwood because it's our city." Um, so that's the main thing I feel like we can do at this stage. Perfect. I want you to tell us one tangible thing that you would like 
to achieve. You've, you've given you've given us some objectives, and and now I just just as a as just put on the table. What's one tangible goal? It's it's um, June. First week of June. Yep. What, uh, what's one tangible goal you'd like to see happen by mid September, the beginning of fall? So the most important tangible thing we can do right now is to get the petition signed to the Save Wyvernwood petition and to put pressure on Councilman Jose Weizar. So send an email to Jose Weizar's office expressing your support of saving, preserving Wyvernwood, not tearing it down, and also sign the petition on the Save uh, Wyvernwood Facebook page, which I think Rigo will give you the details of that later. But those are very powerful tools and actually exert a lot of pressure that that's a way that's not that hard to make your voice heard. So that's the first step that really needs to happen. Okay, and I'm just going to add, just in the roll call, and we'll put this on the webpage too, the office of the mayor plays no small role in this. That's true. Um, our, That's our, true. Do, you, do you want to talk about the report commissioned, or do you want me to, and just wrap you this can, up? Okay, that, yeah. so just the office of the mayor of Los Angeles plays no small role in this. Our mayor, Eric Garcetti, has commissioned an independent, a report by an independent group to study the problem uh, confronting Weinberg, which is a good indicator for a first step. I think that's a good indicator. I'm not, I'm not going to put you're a value right, on it, but right, I, I think right. that's important to put that on the table uh, on the topic of the office of the mayor and what people can do. The office of the mayor has a little-known office, mostly because of the um, malfeasance of the last mayor, making it not making it known to anyone. Uh, the office of the mayor has a constituent outreach division. Uh, Henry Cassis is the head of this, and the East Los Angeles representative for constituent representation for the mayor of Los Angeles is Patricia Alarcon. She has a cell phone. She has a landline. That's a we're going to put it, put it on. Yeah. Uh, we're going to put this on the webpage. Patricia Alarcon uh, is a grew up in East Los Angeles. She knows. I encourage people if they're upset to not only call uh, CD14 but to also call Patricia Alarcon in the office of the mayor. Again, I will say I think the office of the mayor plays no small role in, in, the, in the battle lines that have formed. We're going to wrap this up. I want you to tell us something about Weinvern Wood that people may not know, Just and, and uh, there's so little known about it. So tell us something. We, we, we've, we've, we've touched the scratch, we scratched the surface of this. Jump deep into this issue and tell us something that really interests you about this that you want to share with people. Anything. Well, I would say what's interested me, my main entry to it has been with my students. So what's really been, um, I wouldn't, it's not so much a little known fact, but the really surprising thing was how moved all the students, I mean, I've probably had a hundred different students work at Wyvernwood on this project with me. And not just the students myself and everyone that I've taken there has really got caught up in this um, importance of saving the place. So it has this kind of special quality to it. When you first go there, it seems a little shabby because the 15 group have not maintained the buildings as they should have done. And so once you, but once you get past that, there's this warmth and richness and this welcoming community that's just, you know, you've got to be such a cold-hearted person not to be moved by this and to get on board. And so... I feel like if more people went there, if more people came to events where they could meet community members, um, you will not help but want to support this cause of preserving Wyvernwood. Okay. That was really good. 
I, I want to go back to the, the larger abstraction, which is the point of this pro- podcast, which is, which is the complete hustle that corporations are pulling in this country about r- secretly, quietly, slyly changing the definition of what public space is. Yeah. I, I, I want to turn our sights and put squarely in the crosshairs the challenge to public space and, and the politicalization of the sidewalk. And I would like you to leave us with a meditation for us to take away larger than Weinvernwood, larger than the parceling up of East Los Angeles to a small group of corporations who intend to make billions of dollars on it. And I want you to leave us with the meditation on this challenge to the sidewalk and, and public space in general in, in this country. Well, I I would love to quote a poem, but I think Woody Guthrie actually says it best. This land is your land. This land is my land. And what we have to realize is that this space that we walk on is our inheritance for all of us. And the dividing it up into private privatization of it denies us of, um, of what's common to all of us. And so in England, where I came from originally, we have a long tradition of the commons, And it's the concept of the commons that we all share this. It's all our spaces that I think we need to kind of change our thinking and and not think of um, space as something that's naturally or inherently privately owned and should be in the hand of corporations. You did it. You did it. That's okay. Turn your phone off. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I want to thank you, and I want you to say goodbye to everyone, and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, we'll see you over there soon. Thank you so much for having me on here, and goodbye to everyone. My name is Alina Skrzyszewska. I'm in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. My name is Kevin Strick. I am a graduate student at Cal State LA. And last semester, uh, I did a class where we worked together students with the Wyvernwood struggle and we had a poetry class, creative writing poetry class and a seminar uh, about documentary poetry and the two classes visited Wyvernwood Gardens and created works that are inspired by the struggle to keep it. This is called Nightfall in Wyvernwood. If I could sit face to face with those developers I would ask them to tell me what they see. I know their answer would be they see things that aren't there yet. They see an absence of industry possibilities, untapped wells of high-end real estate, towers of corporate sponsorship, seas, seers, seers. I too see things that aren't there. No drug dealers standing around intimidating people. No strip club billboards. Just a peaceful two-story neighborhood with a cool breeze between the trees. What is missing from these blocks? Two brothers from Miami think they have the vision but I've heard a different perspective. Residente has lived here for decades. Grandchildren raised in the same grass yard as their parents in Los Angeles. Three generations, same apartment in Los Angeles. He asked my friend where she lives. Entonces they knock down your place, she translates. You move to Beverly Hills. They take our home. We move to Compton. Pausing to slick back his hair, the developer looks like he's ready to give me another lecture on progress. Like I can't see the big picture. Can he see the small one? He caricatures me in naive idealist, clueless about the history of Los Angeles. I am not. I, myself, I have gentrified. 
but never intentionally made life miserable for people, eliminating youth soccer games. It's like burning oranges to raise the value of oranges, when picking oranges is what brought Tom Joad to California in the first place. The land kept safe. Reshaped into a modern architectural monstrosity, that is a plan that doesn't need to see fruition. No fruit trees in that picture. When you bend to look through your rods and levels, are people just trees? Are trees dirt balls? I kind of feel bad for these people, said a guy I know in this line of work who I see once a year, but not really. Is Playa Vista like Stonewall to these people? The developer rallying point? We refuse to back down against these environmentalist impressors. Park La Brea, LA Live, Universal City, the emerging downtown, privatized neighborhoods with commercial tax revenues. LA City Council isn't complaining. Es una guerra sucia, Residente tells me. Hopefully the residents will turn out to be like Majode, if they raise the community to make way for the imaginary orange groves of East LA. Where, I wonder, will La Raza draw visible border against the advancing development? When, or if, the Grove East grows Nathaniel West oranges, I foresee violent results for angry teenagers. But for now, all is quiet in Wyronwood. This is Fanny Bixby in Old Long Beach. You're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. Rigo, Rigo, I'm here with you. We're at Cal State of Life. Yes. We're here to talk about Wyvernwood. You've got a great event starting in about 10 minutes, so we'll try and wrap this up and let you get back outside. I need you to properly introduce yourself and tell us about this battle line that has been drawn on Olympic Boulevard just a couple blocks east of Soto. Okay. Well, my name is Rigo Mbiska. I'm a neighborhood activist, community organizer. Um, so our battle with the 15 group goes back to 1997. And what they want to do is uh, they want to demolish the entire neighborhood, um, a historic neighborhood that has 1,185 rent-stabilized apartments. Um, 6,000 souls live there. They want to demolish all that to make way for 4,400 high-rise luxury condominiums, essentially uh, bringing in, um, let's say, a different social class of people. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's take this slow. Let's not get. There's a lot to talk about. So let's okay. stay on track about first steps. Wynvernwood is this beautiful pre-war housing development. 1939. Uh, Watson and Whitmer are the architects. Yes. Stadler is the landscape architect. This is one of the most. This is one of the great mature landscapes in Los Angeles. It is. It is. Uh, it's LA's. Uh, it's LA's first uh, garden-style apartment development, um, and you, you mentioned David Whitmer, who's a, who was a famous architect of his day. He he was kind of on the level of um, who, who's kind of like a Wel- Welton Beckett. I mean right. Whitmer, Welton Beckett. No, what? Well, no, uh, the the old, oh no, Whit- Whitmer was an architect. Stadler is a landscape architect. Him. Uh, it, when you think of Whitmer, you have to think of. Welton Beckett, you have to think of these great, immediate pre, uh, AC, AC Martin. I mean, these are guys who, right before World War II, were doing deep and fundamental work, and many of them, after World War II, just jumped into the boom that right. hit Los Angeles. Right. So, I mean, if you if you think of the 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 um, the Pentagon was it was another one yeah, of the winners right. winners uh, and uh, the Presidio in San Francisco was was also credited to Whitmer. Um, so it was built in 1939. Um, 
what else? What else? Uh, okay, that's it. That let's. Uh, it's beautiful. So it's, it is yeah. a jewel. It, yeah. it is a jewel in the middle of this metropolis uh, that, that we have all this open green space that people can 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 take part in. It's like living in a park. Yeah. So, we've got this wonderful space which um, my great aunt moved into in 1939. So this is a place with several generations of shared collective knowledge of the space. There's a lot of effective ownership right. of this space. I want you to talk about what would happen, what happens when communities get displaced with the demolition of their neighborhoods. Well, one of the things that uh, the 15 Group is offering, um, like if you want to leave, they'll offer, they're, they're willing to give you $18,600. That is really not enough. To, in, in today's L.A., uh, there's really nowhere you could live or, or get a new start for that much money because they do tax that money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's I, – I, I don't want to spend too much time on what Group 15 wants to do because this just it's, they're all lies. I'm <laughs> starting with the lie about keeping the rent stabilization, and we'll let that pass, and we'll get back to that in another interview. I want to talk about um, this battle line that has been drawn, and I want to talk about goals and objectives on your side. I think at this point it's safe to say the battle line separates the organized people and the organized wealth. So why don't we talk about that for a couple minutes? So... Um I guess our objectives as as uh, as an organization is to keep pressure on Jose Huizar, um, who's kind of like in the middle. You, you know, he he is uh, his 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 reelection campaign is heavily backed by um, Maria Elena Durazo. She's with the AFL CIO, and mm-hmm. um, she's one of the supporters of this project. Um, you know, other people like Father Gregory Boyle, who who is an you know an esteemed uh, he's a pillar of the Boyle Heights community, and and he's 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 got his um, he's he's thrown his support behind this proposal. Um, you know, uh, you know. I, I was having this conversation outside, and, and like uh, people were asking me, what what does Homeboy Industries have to gain? Homeboy Industries is is a business. It's a nonprofit, but it's, it's a business like any other. And they they would be the the job distribution center. So they would have a lot to gain from this. Right. So the, the point being, Father Boyle. Right. This is right. They, he, he's he's not interested in that. He's, he's he does not put right. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the organizing of the neighborhood. Okay. Uh, so let's let's get into this. This um, threat has been on the table for two years now. Well, it's the public hearing started last year, but the 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 proposal like started in 1997. When okay. So so, so 15 group bought bought this bought Wyvern Wood with the intention of, of of bringing this plan to life. Okay, and for about two years now, I guess it's been re- really the the, the 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 drums have been beating, right. and and the lines have been drawn. Um, I know that of there there are lots of players. You've done a good job of of, of listing some of them. I want to put on the table a player, uh, the neighborhood council, and yeah. and if you could quickly before you talk about. The, the Boyle Heights Neighborhood Council, if you could explain what a neighborhood council is, because we haven't talked about that on this podcast a lot, and I'm not sure a lot of people really have a lot of interaction with their neighborhood council, and, and they should. Right. Well, the neighborhood council, like um, in, throughout L.A., every neighborhood in L.A. has a council sort of to sort of, um, I guess, uh, make L.A. seem more democratic. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you find that funny. But... 
but every neighborhood has one. Um, not as many people. Uh, I wish more people were involved in them. Um, but um, back back in uh, well, last year our neighborhood council decided to, to support this development proposal without hearing, without listening to both sides. Um, so we we took action against the, to, against the our neighborhood council. Um, they were petitioned um, to the point where they wrote me a letter. Um, you know, saying saying that they were being harassed. Well, these are our elected uh, our elected representatives. They're supposed to be petitioned, and yeah. So, so <laughs> wait the, the 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 neighborhood council told you that you were harassing them. Yes, yeah, yeah that uh, they were receiving too many emails and and uh, you know, the, it, first of all, the, the petition didn't originate with me, but like these these are our the, these people are supposed to be representing us, and and. Um, it, I, I mean, I find it just, just as, 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 um, as hilarious that, that they would be annoyed with being petitioned. I mean, they don't have much of a, of a career in politics if you can't be petitioned, if that's too, too much of a burden to bear. Neighborhood councils are really interesting because they get to put the seal of the city of Los Angeles on anything they send out, and yet they're not responsible. They're, the, the, the ethics, uh, municipal ethics... They're, they're, they cannot be investigated by the city's ethics board because they're not part of the city. And yet they send out these letters with the seal of the city of Los Angeles, and I find it very interesting. <sighs> Let's, um, so the neighborhood council, so you've done a good job of explaining the problematic entity, which is the advisory board of neighborhood councils. Right. Let's get into just what's going to happen now that the neighborhood council has, 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 has taken a step back. Right, they've so they've taken a step back. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Like the the day that they that they um, voted to approve the, uh, uh, they they voted to approve this like a redevelopment um, proposal. I I sort of like uh, I you do feel a little defeated. And I talked to I talked to Carlos Montes, who didn't take a he didn't take a, a vote because well I won't get into that. But um, I I I I guess what I what I had what I had said was oh well you know. In neighborhood council, it doesn't really matter anyway. So the day, like, when they were petitioned and they decided to take a step back and not 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 uh, look at the issue any further, um, um, who, who's um, who's kind of the the CEO of the Fifteen Group? His name is Fink, Steve Fink. Yeah, yeah. He he sort of hung his head back in defeat and said, "Oh well, neighborhood council is really insignificant." So. Yeah. He, he he would be correct. So it's kind of, we both came to the same kind of like a uh, like um, conclusion, like we don't really have to focus on you guys. Okay, so the neighborhood council has taken a step back. What is what is what does this mean? Looking at looking ahead, what's so what's so the first salvo of arrows has flown. Mm -hmm. People are lining up, mm -hmm. and and you and the community you're standing with. Who are you looking at across across these lines, and and and, and what are you going to have to do? What, what what do you want to do in the next year? Okay, well, in the next year, we want to gather as many uh, petition signatures as we can, and you can go to change.org, and and if you do a search for Wyvernwood, it's we'll, we'll, we'll put the URL on the web page associated with this podcast. So just yeah, don't worry. Um, we're going to have to keep keep the pressure on um, our, our city council person Jose Huizar, um, also Gil Cedillo, and um, Bob Englander. Who and th those are the three three guys that deal with housing issues in Los Angeles. They are the three council members which make up planning, land use, management. Jose Bizar being the chair of planning, land use, management, which is uh, 
uh, city council members are very powerful. Mm -hmm. City council members who sit on Plum are even more powerful. The city council member who chairs Plum is very powerful. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, it goes back to the idea of organized people. And so yeah. the more people who call his office, the more people who petition his office, uh, the better chance that Wyvernwood has. Great. Okay. I want you to give us your... What's what's the one thing? So you've just given us some goals. What's one milestone, one deliverable, one tangible result that you want to see, in, in the, that you'd, you'd like to see in the in the next year? Um, I'd like to see the mayor's office take take a take a stand on Wyvernwood. Okay, that's and and the mayor has issued has made a statement that he's going to get a uh, that. Group 15 group has to pay for an independent study right. of the group. So this is you're you're halfway there. Right, we are halfway there. So we I, I've actually um, I'm, I'm staying on top of that situation, and and so we 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 expect to see the results of that independent um, that independent review. Um, I think as early as next week. Wow, that's fantastic! All right, the event's starting. You have to go. I want you to leave us with one image, one meditation for us to take away as we think about this community and how we can help it. All power to the people. Um, that's, that's how, stay involved, um, stay informed, and um, any, any, um, any inquiries you can write to me at rigo at somoswyvernwood.org. All right, Rigo, thank you so much. And let's get, let's get back outside. Thank you. My name is Judith Markoff Hansen. I'm in downtown Los Angeles, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 16th, 2014. Our guests this week were Badan Roy. He's a professor of English at Cal State Los Angeles, poet Kevin Strick, and activist Rigo Amaviska. He's working with Weinvernwood. They're all, all three are intrinsically involved in the crisis, struggle, and drama happening at Weinvernwood. And we hope within um, a week or two of this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're putting this out there, this podcast, and with it, we're sending a lot of positive thoughts because we're, we're, we're looking forward to some, some milestones coming up. Okay. So, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback on, on, on my putting the brakes on saying some things just now. <laughs> and in addition to your, in addition to, to your, thank you for that feedback. Could you tell people how they can give us feedback on things they want to hear us say that we're not saying, maybe? You're so cute. It's always nice to hear from our listeners, and we often do when we're giving esoteric bus tours. I love it when people get on the bus and we get on the mic and they're like, I know that voice. So it's, it's cool that some of our podcast listeners are now coming and getting on the bus and vice versa. Uh, if you join us on an esoteric bus tour, do let us know that you're listening to the podcast. It's always enjoyable. You can also join us at a lava event. You can send us emails at youcaneatthesunshine at gmail.com or uh, you can send a review through the iTunes system as well. Um, and... Now, it's very important to remember, though, we don't do all the lava events. That's a calendar for a lot of artists in L.A. So you have to look and see if it's an event hosted by Richard or myself. And you don't host events. I do. I do. Like, I, I've got a reading coming up for my, for my novel at uh, Romans, and that's, okay, that's a Kim-hosted event. Yeah. I do sometimes host events. But um, 
Lava Sunday Salons, walking tours, crime lab seminars. You'll find us at those events, and you'll also find us at Ellen Kanto. Bhagavad Gita study class? Yeah, you'll, you'll be at the Bhagavad Gita study class. I'll probably be in the library, but that's our life, darling. You study, I read. Thanks for letting us know what you think. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kim. Kim, you're going to bring us home. We've got some tours coming up. Right. Um, so just let's, let's go. Home stretch. Stretching. We're on the crime bus next week. That's Weird West Adams. It's a tour about one of the earlier suburbs of uh, Southern California, just to the west of downtown L.A. We'll travel through all those micro-neighborhoods, talk about the developers, talk about some of the weird crimes that happened in these unassuming little blocks, and also take a nice stroll through Rosedale Cemetery. I know it's Angeles Rosedale now. It's always Rosedale to me. One of the earliest, you know, back in the day, they marketed it that you could see all the way to Catalina. It's never happened to us yet, but I always hope when we do that walk, when we get up to the circle, we get up to the Ringe Grave on a windy day, Maybe we will see Catalina. That would, it could happen this time. Join us. Um, then we've got uh, on the 12th of July, Haunts of a Dirty Old Man, the Charles Bukowski tour. I, you know, it's it's been a hard summer, Richard. I've been getting emails from people from all over the world coming to LA, love Bukowski, and they're not there on that day to take the tour. <laughs> Bless you. That wasn't a cat, was it? That was no, you. Was me. The previous sneeze was a cat. It was it was Dashiell. He wants you to know that. Um, but if you're in L.A. on the 12th of July and you like Bukowski, you can get on this bus and follow in the footsteps of the dirty old man himself, Charles Bukowski. Go from downtown L.A., Broadway, to the L.A. Public Library where he discovered John Fonte, head out into East Hollywood, and really get a sense of how he invented himself at the age of 50-plus. On July the 19th, it's our once-a-year bus adventure crawling down Cahuenga, Tom Waits, L.A. It's hosted by David Smay, my longtime collaborator in such musical books as Bubblegum Music is the Naked Truth and Lost in the Grooves. David wrote a great little book about Swordfish Trombones, which is the album that really changed the, the life and the musical career of Tom Waits, in 1980, and so we'll we'll travel through Tom Waits' 1970s. Pretty similar footprint as the Bukowski tour, but but a pretty different story. Although also a story of, of self-creation and discovery. And please tell your friends. We only do it once a year. If you know some Waits lovers, let them know it's happening. The Real Black Dahlia is our most popular crime bus tour, and it rolls on July the 26th. We'll be following in the footsteps of Elizabeth Short. We go in people's footsteps a lot, considering we're on a bus. Um, Looking not at who killed her, although we will talk about a pretty interesting theory, but about who she was and why her still notorious, still unsolved murder remains so fascinating and important for students and scholars of Los Angeles cultural history. On August the 3rd, it's our South L.A. road trip, subtitled Hot Rods, Adobe's, Googie, and Early Modernism. Join us down in Vernon and Downey and, and Billy Goat Acres and fun places like that to see some very important sites that are quite a bit off the beaten path of the usual architectural journeys and jaunts in L.A. On August the 9th, it's Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, a downtown and Hollywood tour looking at the life and work of the great detective novelist who, by the way, is the, well, I wouldn't say he's quite the hero, but he's, he's definitely one of, the, one of the focal points of my novel, The Kept Girl, and uh, someone I love a lot. So that's Richard's tour, though. And we also have a nice snack break on that tour. We go to Scoops and we have boozy, noir-themed gelato. 
which is pretty special. On August the 16th, it's our Boyle Heights and San Gabriel Valley tour, the hidden histories of LA's melting pot, and we'll be going to Wyvernwood on that tour. And, and yeah, Rigo's going to meet us? Yeah. Awesome. It's going to be a very, very rich and full journey through um, about, gosh, almost 100 years of neighborhood growth and change and all of the incredibly complex, cool stuff that happens in immigrant neighborhoods. Um, and we only give that one a couple times a year. So if you're interested in it, August 16th, put it on your calendar. We're ending the month of August also with the California Culture Tour Series, The Lowdown on Downtown, Saturday, August 23rd. That's another twice-a-year tour, and we get really deep into the development of downtown LA, which has had a lot of ups and downs. It's a very hot neighborhood at the moment, but if you if you don't know how it got there, you're really missing the big picture. It's a fascinating place, and we'd love to see you on that bus. And that's what I got on the list here. Kim, thank you. By the way, that crash you heard while you were reading off some of those buses, yeah. that was that was Dashiell again. He's just, really active. Just in case people are trying to keep track. Dashiell's one of the black cats. He's the one with bicolored eyes and really lovely fluffy fur and he he's a gem i didn't, I didn't think he was gonna make that jump so i, did, I wasn't okay kim you did it thank oh, you and yeah, and Ashel, that was a good jump um so i want to i want to thank everyone for listening we appreciate it we appreciate your feedback i want to ask you to continue to listen and i want to remind you you can't eat the sunshine can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between South.